And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Father, let your word go forth, just as you sent forth your son to wander about Palestine and to give himself. And as that seed died and was raised to life and bore much fruit and is still bearing fruit to this day, Let your word be planted deeply in our hearts and bear great fruit that we will see generations to come from now. We pray all this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Welcome again to St. Bartholomew's. Jesus just has more difficult things to say to us and to his followers, doesn't he? Now remember, he's now officially on his way to Jerusalem. He had wandered and found himself all the way up in Caesarea Philippi, a place of of pluralism, a place of the worship of idols. And now he's headed down towards Jerusalem, but he's out beyond the Jordan in the Judean wilderness. And now on his journey, headed this way, he encounters a man. And we'll get to that account in just a moment. But what I want to pose to you today is what is this being fully human? What is the secret, if you will, of being fully human? It's on our bulletin. It's something that we've been talking about. It's connected with this vision of being St. Bartholomew's, this people named for one of the 12 who was from Galilee, who was a missionary to the East, who went to India with the gospel, who was a farmer, all of these things. And we have two different pictures of people both collectively and individually, seeking what it could mean to be fully human. And you have one people trying to answer that question with national success. If if only our nation can experience this peace 
and prosperity. Then God will bring the end of days. Then he'll put his enemies, our enemies, which are the same, under our feet. And we will rule and reign the world in God's righteousness. So there was an eschatological tone to that nation's vision of what it means to be fully human. But another person in the story, an individual, he was seeking and searching and we find out that he has a lot of possessions, that he's an accomplished person, that maybe he has a piety based upon achievement. Not only achievement and accumulation of things, but he has a piety of achievement because he has kept the law, all the laws from the time that he was young. But Jesus gives stern words to that individual. And the prophet Amos, who calls himself just a shepherd, a dresser of sycamore figs, he has stern words for this nation, the nation of Israel. Both of these passages have an eschatological tone, meaning they have a tone looking towards the end of days or the end of the age the time when the new heavens and the new earth will be inaugurated. And our being fully human has an eschatological tone as well because that, which is God, that, because that which God is making us into won't be fully seen until the new heavens and the new earth are inaugurated. So the longing that we have in our hearts, or maybe the lack thereof, the hope that we have in our hearts, or perhaps the lack thereof. The things that we've tasted and seen, as we sang earlier, or maybe we know that we haven't tasted, and we haven't seen, and we've been without, and we're struggling in a desert wasteland looking for something. God will give us a foretaste of that in this journey of being fully human. St. Paul talks about Creation longing eagerly for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. That's the same kind of thing. When we'll all be revealed, those of us who follow Jesus Christ, who have received the kingdom of God, when all of us are revealed, then we'll see and taste and know fully what it is to be fully human. Being fully human is not about a new humanism, Surrounded by Christian spirituality. Rather, it is, being, it is rooted in a new humanity, inaugurated by Christ Jesus himself in his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is a final and authoritative setting right what went so terribly wrong in the garden with the first humans and what their progeny have been seeking after all these days. We see it clearly in Amos the people of Israel seeking after authority, engaging in injustice to accumulate wealth. And this young man that encounters Jesus seeking after eternal life and asking Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the secret of being fully human has to do with what Jesus will tell this young man and, and really tell the disciples with man, it is impossible. Do you see the irony? We just went meta. With man, it is impossible to be fully human. But not so with God. 
With God, all things are possible. With God, it is possible to fulfill the commands that God gives us. It is possible as we're filled with the Spirit of God to live in his kingdom, to show forth a vision of what it looks like to live in right community, to show forth a vision of what it looks like to live in a right economy, not something that takes from the poorest only to accumulate more wealth as Amos was calling out with the nation of Israel. And not just in a piety of achievement where if I only fulfill these laws, and yes, that applies even to the things that Jesus said, we can create a whole new law for ourselves. Remember what Jesus said just a few verses before this. Unless you're like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot receive the kingdom of heaven. So as being fully human national success, a quick context of Amos, the nation of Israel, this is written about 750 BC. The nation of Israel, now they're split into two kingdoms, northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judea. The kingdom of Israel had experienced, had not experienced peace and prosperity like this since the time of Solomon. Things were looking good. The market's strong. Everything's looking nice. We've got, there's parity on the global stage with our military, etc. Little did they know the kingdom of Assyria in this downtime was rising and about to wipe them out. Gave you the end of the story there. So there's peace and prosperity. There's commercial success. That part of the land of Israel had the most arable land. So naturally, there was a lot of farming. There was a lot of fruits. They controlled nice ports in the Mediterranean Sea. And they had this assumption that either the end of the age was coming. Remember, in the Jewish chronology of time, there's the current age, and it's running like this directly on a linear time scale, and boom, there's the age to come. And that would see the, they would see the Messiah, they would see the new age, and God would put Israel in charge of all the other nations, and all their enemies would be a footstool to their feet, Psalm 110. See how they're appropriating all these things? And so they saw for themselves the new age. It's finally here. They probably didn't use words like progress or technological advancements or AI or anything like that, but maybe we can insert ourselves in that conversation as well. So they saw themselves as being rulers of the world, this messianic people finally, but they weren't a righteous people. And even if it wasn't the end of the age, they thought perhaps this was the beginning of a new golden age for the people of Israel. But for each of those things, there was something that they were doing unrighteously or unjustly. Their peace and prosperity, yes, it was a blessing, but it was also a curse because they thought that it was an unmistakable sign of God's favor and they thought it was God's sign of blessing on all of their unrighteousness because of the wealth that they, they accumulated was not had by righteous means. We read it, Sandra read it earlier. The poor were oppressed. The rich got richer. There was no justice in the gates. There was no impartiality in a system of judging. Not only that, but their worship of God was about the same as their neighbor's pagan rituals. They considered them to be magic. If we just do these things, and God will bless us. But not only that, but they mixed in the worship of other gods. And so God would say, a few verses after where we stopped, I hate, comma, I despise your feasts. 
I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away, oh, this, as a musician, this kills me. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not, let, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let the true essence of my kingdom be that which marks your kingdom. It didn't just mean that they were coming to God with, you know, an unforgiven sin that they forgot to confess. These people were blatantly rebelling against God and his commandments. So in their, their quest to become fully human, though they wouldn't say it like that, national success was clearly not the way to go about it. So if national success, if this collective victory isn't the way, what about personal achievement? A young man comes to Jesus as Jesus is on his way, and where is he going? He's going to Jerusalem. And what was in Jerusalem? His sure and certain death. The cup that he says in the Garden of Gethsemane with the weight of the world upon him, crushing him, pressing upon him the weight of God's glory. Lord, if it be your will, I will take this cup, but take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, in this sober journey to Jerusalem, to his certain death upon the cross, encounters this man. And the man addresses him as good teacher. Teacher, And I read that with a little bit of skepticism, but when I consulted the people that know more than me, because they've written books about all these things, so many people know so many more things than me. They said this was actually a way for this man to give due reverence and deference to Jesus as a respected rabbi, good teacher. And what is his question? He asks Jesus, give me a commandment. Did you notice that? You read between the lines. What must I do to inherit eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' retort, quickly, he turns it around on me. He says, yo, why do you call me good? No one is good. Only God alone is good. This could indicate what this man thought of himself. I'm a good man. I can ask this good teacher we can see eye to eye on another good thing that, we, that I could do to inherit this eternal life. Now, this eternal life that he would inherit, this is another eschatological tone. What must I do that when I die, I will enter into glory? I will be in the bosom of Abraham. I'll be with all of God's people and with God. It will not die forever, but will live. What must I do, good teacher? No one is good but God. Then Jesus gives him an answer. You know the commandments. And Jesus lists off these commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. These are all from the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. These are all the horizontal commandments. The ones of relating one to another, of living in community and life and peace. 
in righteousness. Hey, young man, you want to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. These are the same kinds of things that the nation of Israel precisely were not doing when Amos made his prophecies at Bethel, where they had been worshiping idols. You know the commandments. And the man's answer is this. Teacher, all these I have kept for my youth. Hey, that's good. I've done all of those. And I can imagine that Jesus was maybe a little bit perturbed at this moment because Jesus was fully God and fully man. We all know how perturbed men can get. Oh my gosh. They wouldn't even ask for directions. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's, of all this passage, that's my key moment. Jesus looked at him in love. Jesus saw exactly what was in his mind, what was in his heart. Jesus saw his deepest fears. Jesus saw the things that he had done wrong, even though that he had kept all these things from his youth ever since he had been bar mitzvahed. Jesus sees it all and says, you lack one thing. Wait, we're about to find out that this guy has everything. But in a moment of, of irony, Jesus says, but you lack one thing. Take all of your possessions, sell them, and give everything to the poor. Then come and follow me. Now, is this a blanket commandment for everybody within the sound of my voice to sell all that you have and give to the poor? No. This is Jesus encountering a specific man in a specific moment. You have to live. You have to eat. But later, Jesus will describe to his disciples the trouble with wealth and money and riches. That the love of money is the root of all evil, the writer of Hebrews would say. But Jesus would say it like this. After the man leaves crestfallen, disheartened, Realizing that he, has, he thought he had hope, but he doesn't have hope. And Jesus teaches his disciples, verse 23, how difficult, difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children. Remember the last few weeks, children? The little ones? Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is, is stating something that is patently absurd on purpose. The camel was the biggest animal that would, would be around in Palestine. And the eye of a needle was the smallest opening that the disciples would know about. And they're saying, so you're saying there's a chance? No, the disciples are incredulous. Well, then who can be saved? They realize their hopelessness. I mean, they're not probably not wealthy like this guy. Good teacher, come on. But they realize that even the 12 who have been called apart specifically to be with Jesus, Bartholomew, one of them, 
then what must we do to be saved? What can we do? Who can be saved? If this man, if this good man, who has all the signs of blessing us upon him, if he can't be saved, who can? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Reading through the story of, of Israel and Amos and the man this week and meditating on these things, I found myself disheartened, <laughs> a little bit crestfallen. Not because I thought I had to sell everything I own, but because it's so sobering what Jesus calls us to. But not only that, the hopeful side of this is that there's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. There's nothing we can do to make him love us any less. Teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man doesn't know that eternal life must be received, that it's God's gift to bestow upon his people. And so there is hope because God is calling not just the twelve, And not just those people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, but God is calling all who would draw near to him. That Jesus Christ stretched out his arms upon the hard wood of the cross that who might come within the saving reach of his embrace? Only the white people? No. Only the dudes? No. That everyone might come within the reach of his saving embrace. And so he calls all of us. With man, this is impossible. We have to realize at some point that our seeking after God, when Jesus calls us, there has to be a letting go and there has to be a falling down. At some point, we have to let go of the things that we have a white knuckle grip of. Maybe it's something that you're afraid of and and ironically, in some reason, you don't know why, but you can't let it go. Jesus wants you to follow him, but you can't follow him while you're holding on to that thing because what do you have to take up as you follow him? You have to take up a cross. In my notes, I was going to ask, are you depressed yet? (laughs) That's part of the gospel is that there is a lot of bad news. But the bad news isn't the whole story. The garden and the falling away, the Tower of Babel, the flood, the Babylonian captivity, all the mass killings we see in the 20th century, all that bad news isn't the whole story. With man, it is impossible. That's half the story. But not with God. For all things are possible with God. The secret to becoming fully human is surrendering everything that we have to God, to Christ Jesus, to following him, to hanging on his words, to letting them be to us like honey on our lips. The secret to being fully human is to be like Moses, 
who wrote Psalm 90 attributed to Moses. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. The two things that's common about Israel in Amos' prophecy and about this rich young man that neither were satisfied. The only thing that will satisfy you and I is the unfailing love of God. It's found in Christ Jesus. It's expressed perfectly on the cross and it is shed abroad subtly, powerfully, and transformingly in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. What's the application for us today? I assume most of you are following Jesus, that there was some decisive moment in your life, whether it was a really big moment at like a church camp like it was for me, or some other kind of moment you just kind of grew into and realized, you know what, I've loved God all my life, and I trust Jesus. No matter what it is, I assume that you've experienced that. But we can get weighed down on the way. There is a weight of God's glory that's a good weight that presses upon us, but there's also the weight of the extraneous things. The things that the enemy would say. The situations we find ourselves in that we blame ourselves for when really God is shaping us and forming us. What is it that is keeping you from following Jesus? What is it that if Jesus said you have to let that go instead of willingly giving it away and receiving the kingdom of God, disheartened and dejected, you would turn and walk away? I know most of you really well. And I know most of you would not walk away from our Lord Jesus. I would assume none of us would, knowing the treasure that he has that far outweighs everything else. But think about it for a moment. Hmm. The people of Israel had created for themselves idols made in the images of things that they believed were powerful. During Jeroboam's reign, a golden calf was put at Bethel in order that the people would worship at Sinai, when Moses was gone a little bit too long, Aaron got all the gold that they had just collected from Egypt, and they put together these two oxen, this, this golden calf, and he said, Behold, Israel, you're God! Because to the people of Israel, what's more strong than an oxen? It gets a lot of stuff done. But it's not God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made the impossible possible because of your great love for us. That you look on us in love. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've thought, no matter how we have spurned your good and beautiful advances, you look on us in love. And you see us and you call us to yourself. You don't chastise you don't shame, but you call us to yourself. Hmm. Lord, as you're drawing us through in this process of becoming more fully human, allowing us here and there to taste and see what it is to live with you in eternity, 
would you please reveal to us those things that we hold back from you, that we may grow, that like our Lord Jesus, we may take up the cross, that we may follow you, and that those things may die, that we may be healed, and that resurrection in its power, in its beauty, in its inevitable, unstoppable glory would be brought forth in our lives. In the name of the resurrected Lord, we pray. Amen.